Uh, the Stummer, uh, say this every week because we have new people and want to keep you guys uh, caught up. We've been studying Paul's letters to Timothy. And as I said a couple of week, weeks ago, no matter how you package this, no matter how you look and view these letters, at the end of the day, we're talking about one martyr sending letters to another martyr. That these two individuals, Paul is at the end of his life and he's passing the torch of a ministry that has already seen Timothy imprisoned and persecuted for his faith. And ultimately one day it will cost his life as well for the cause. These two individuals gave their lives in order that the church may grow and the gospel go forward. That's important to remember here, please don't hear me say this by this series and by even that statement. Therefore, every one of us should go out in some blaze of glory, gun shooting, butch in the Sundance Kid style uh, gospel presentation type thing. And it's somehow passing peacefully from this life to the next, surrounded by friends and family that you've grown and grandkids and great grandkids, is somehow a second rate. Christian life in comparison to the men that we're talking about. So hear me say that. But it is worth mentioning that perhaps far more of us should think about their life and their end than currently do. It's easy for us to forget that what we're doing today is communing with a holy God whose standard of perfection has never wavered throughout the centuries and today offers to mold us and shape us by his spirit into the image of his son, the same God and the same image that these men followed. Where he transforms our thoughts, he transforms our actions after himself. And apart, from, and apart from him, meaning apart from Christ, things are going from bad to worse. All without God are suffering and dying apart from him. They may not look like it. It may appear happiness and, and roses and, and, and great things in other places, but, but if truth be truth and the word of God be accurate, then things are going from bad and worse. Going from bad to worse, and underneath the veneer of, of okay is this sense of hopelessness and insecurity. I say that in a culture like ours, the expectation, even for us, can easily be that things will go from good to better to best, and things are on the way up, and everything's going to be great. And texts like ours today aren't meant to show, uh, meant to somehow mandate struggle and hardship. But it's important to point out that the absence of struggle and hardship, it's easy, in the absence of struggle and hardship, it's easy to be lulled into a quiet illusion. John Calvin, in his great commentary, says it this way. I may have it up there for you. Paul wants this warning to make Timothy even more diligent. When things turn out as we want them to, we become careless. But necessity makes us more alert 
So Paul warns Timothy that the church will be subject to terrible diseases that will mean its pastors must be especially faithful, diligent, careful, wise, and constantly alert. It is if Paul was warning Timothy to prepare himself for the arduous and deeply anxious struggles that awaited him. From this we learn not to be frightened in the face of difficulties, but rather to strengthen our hearts to overcome them. We've established in in our study together that the theme of 2 Timothy is encouragement to fulfill your ministry. That same encouragement comes to us amidst not direct opposition, but a tendency towards complacency, numbness, cultural blindness, instead of the direct opposition that perhaps they faced. And one has to wonder, of the two that I just spoke, the two opposing forces, which one is really more detrimental to the eyes and the soul? The direct opposition or the cultural unaware, the blindness and numbness that overtakes those who have everything? Which one is worse for us as far as understanding the spiritual forces that oppose us every day? This morning, uh, briefly, I'd like to share a few things that I feel are critical from this text in order for us, uh, in in some ways, to, to get it and fulfill what the text is asking us. The first is this, know the truth. Seems like a shirt or a bumper sticker or something. It's very simple. Know the truth. Paul warns, warns us in verse 1 that these last days, difficult times will come. We could do an entire series on that phrase, know the truth. How in our culture today, we often exchange the truth of God, as Romans 1 talks about, for a lie, for a relative, morally ambiguous lie that simply makes us feel better in the moment and attempts to kick to the curb or kick the can out ahead of us the eternal surety surety that's coming and it's out of sight. That term, last days, is not necessarily meaning Paul's time or our time necessarily, but basically he's saying from this time on, this is what you can expect. Paul is trying to paint a picture of what the church should expect from here on out. Verses 2 through 4 here that we read gives us a list of what certain people will engage in, and even though we could spend... uh, an inordinate amount of time on each one of these, kind of unpacking what does it mean to do this, and what does it mean to do this, and what does it mean to do this. All of them kind of fall underneath the general term that starts the list, lovers of self. And so if you take that term alone, lovers of self, is kind of the root from which all of those others that follow and precede that term come as ones who are more in love with themselves Than in love with God. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I think the text does that for us that we, in general, fall into one of two camps. We are lovers of God or we are lovers of self. So, how do we begin to know and understand what it means to even be a lover of self, to recognize that within us and to begin to become uh, what what the Bible paints here as, as a lover of God? 
The Bible teaches us that the truth of God's word, that's what brings us a knowledge of sin and shortcomings. Just it, it reminds us, and you can look at the law in the Old Testament, it paints a picture of us as we read it of how far we've fallen short of God's standard, how far we've strayed from the truth, and how much we need Jesus. That's what the law does. That's what all of it does is to teach us what we need. It's his spirit inside of us that ultimately opens our eyes and brings conviction to our hearts that pursuing anything other than Christ leads to death and destruction. It's his spirit that that tells us that. It's his spirit that convinces our hearts that would otherwise think that our way is the best way. It's his spirit inside of us that convinces us that the truth leads to life and that anything apart from it leads to death and destruction. If you're like me, when you read your Bible every morning or you're tempted, you know you should, or you wake up in the morning, it's on your dresser, it's in that place that you put it so you'll see it, um, and, or you have it on your phone, you have like 15 apps from John Piper to Tim Keller to Matt Chandler and all these other guys that you listen to and you're ready, but then end up on Facebook like me and everyone else and social media and, and all those things instead of that. It's, it's easy to not see this as light, right? It's easy not to see this as water and your, th- and your soul is thirsty. It's easy not to see this as bread and acknowledge your hunger spiritually. It's easy. If you're like me, it happens all the time. Sometimes this becomes more academic. I find myself in the word practically in order to prepare this great sermon that I spent a long time on for you. But not necessarily like bread or water for my soul to feed me so much as in to present a text for you. It's tempting for this to be academic and not life-giving. And Jesus gives us an invitation here as we talk about know the truth. John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will what? set you free. See, you know it. Many of you know it. Know the truth. The second uh, thing that I want us to, to see this morning, know the truth, avoid the lie. Another simple phrase, know the truth, avoid the lie. It's important to mention that Paul isn't talking in this text of those outside the church. If, if he was, think of the implications of saying, avoid them. Stay away from them. He's essentially uh, working against the very great commission that we've been called to do, that we've spent this whole time in Timothy uh, talking about how we're to go and be at light and ambassadors and all that. Just throw it all out if that's who he's talking about. Those outside the church, avoid them. Don't go near them. Um, he's talking about those inside the church that are living like this. This list paints a picture of those within the church community to, to attempt, who attempt to pursue the world while also keeping a veneer of holiness, much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. It was easy for those outside the church to look at these people and say, wow, aren't they holy? Look what they're doing, and not see the obvious uh, things that they were also doing that were out of accord or out of step with the truth. 
They were able to operate as both holy and unholy, unchecked, out of balance. And let me just re- remind us of this like I did last week. If, if another time comes to mind when I say that about Pharisees and, and those operating in this way, if another time comes to mind, you're missing something. If another church comes to mind when I say that or we start to read that list, you're missing it. I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about our church This is alive and well right here in this room at this, what is this, a music stand this morning. And we're here today to acknowledge how we oftentimes are blind and we succumb to these things. Paul's reminding us that those who are entrusted to guard and protect the church, the true children of God, that we cannot afford to be naive and passive in regards to these individuals. In fact, he states it very bluntly that those who have decided to live a life of this, who have decided not to come to repent and to acknowledge their shortcomings and come back to the truth, that those we are to avoid such people. His command paints a picture of what, uh, what the church would call discipline and what that dif- discipline often involves. There's certainly a time to pursue and admonish and exhort. And anyone here who would say, I fall into this category, could come and say, look, we're all here in that category. And we are all here to acknowledge our shortcoming and come and drink the truth again and be reminded and turn from our sin and walk away. But those who choose to say, no, I'd like to stay. And I'd like to continue in this. It's those that we would talk about that after exhorting and after inviting to come and do this and begging and pleading that there is a time where we would simply say, no more, no longer. This rot that Paul describes in chapter 2 doesn't stay nicely and neatly within its boundaries It can't stay in a particular class or a a particular group or a particular row of a church. It spreads. In chapter 2, it leads others towards ungodliness. It upsets the faith of some. He uses the term gangrene, which if any of you know what that is, it's this rotting of flesh that doesn't stay nicely and neatly around. It begins to spread, and the only cure is amputation. I say that. I'm not a doctor. There may be other cures, but I know that that's right. I know we got a lot of medical professionals. Anyway. Verse 6 and 7 paints a pictures of those who would abuse their power and authority to their own ends. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. These are those that oftentimes in the church, they're always asking questions, always questioning everything, but never coming to any sense of truth, never arriving really at any answers, always complaining, but never really stepping in to be the answer. Know the truth. Avoid the lie. 
And the last I would share with us this morning, look to the end. Uh, the other day, I'm kind of ashamed of this, actually. I was watching this movie, um, and it was about this group of people who fell off their boat, and they're trying to get back on the boat, which I'd never actually thought about, but they couldn't get on the boat for some reason because it was too tall or whatever. And here was the hardest thing about this, is one of the couples had a baby on the boat. And so the parents are in there, they can't get on the boat, and the baby starts to wake up, and they hear it on the monitor, and I couldn't do it. I, I could not deal with it. So I immediately turned it off, and like any good movie buff, I went to IMDb, and I looked the movie up, and I was like, I had to know. I had to know, do they get the baby? Like, I can't watch it, but I got to know. And so go to IMDb, if you've never done that, it's a good place to get uh, the plot of a movie and save yourself a bunch of time if the movie really stinks. Uh, so you get on there, and I realize they get back on the boat, the baby's fine, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'll just save myself the rest of whatever this movie was going to take. And they get on the boat, but I don't want to watch that. I can't deal with that. Like, just thinking of it, it's just, uh, it's terrible. But you get in these moments sometimes. Here's why I talk about this terrible moment, is there are these times where we're just like in suspense. What is going to happen? How is it going to affect me? And we get anxious, and we get nervous, and we get scared, and we operate out of fear, and all of these things are natural processes that the human body and, and mind and heart go through. We're prone to fear. We're prone to anxiety because we don't know what's in front of us. We don't know the future. We have point of view. It's this idea that we can only see this far and no further. And so we're prone to know in these things uh, and, and to deal with these things. In verse 8, Paul mentions these two individuals who opposed Moses. And, uh, and if you've got a commentary and you read on this, uh, these are said to be historically the magicians of Pharaoh. And so as Moses comes in to do signs and wonders before Pharaoh, one of the first ones he does is he comes there with Aaron and, and they throw their staff down and it becomes a snake. And, and so Pharaoh goes, like, I can do that. Brings his magician magicians, which are these here, and they get sticks, and they turn to snakes, and what happens in the story, right? Aaron's staff, Aaron's staff gobbles up the other staffs. So even there's this sign of, you really know that you can't keep up, right? (laughs) And so as the wonders, wonders, I always get that wrong, wonders and miracles continue to grow in the plagues of Egypt, at some point the magicians tap out, and they're like, we can't do that. I don't know where he's getting that from. And so their inability to keep up with an almighty God becomes perfectly clear in the story as they seek to keep up with a holy God and say, oh, we can do that. Well, we can't actually do that. They refused to acknowledge the truth, and instead they played parlor games trying to keep up with the almighty. I love verse 9 here, but they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all. And so as we think about uh, human beings, ourselves, prone to anxiety, prone to fear, we race back to the truth. We may not know all that is going to happen from here to there, but we know the end of the story. We as Christians who believe the truth, who found their lives on this book, we know the end of the story. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things made through him, and without him was not anything made that was. In him was life, 
and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. And so no matter what we read about how bad things get out there, or even in our lives, our fears and anxiety, will our business last? Will our church endure forever? Will Christ Redeemer always be here? All of that stuff fails in comparison to the greater story that we find ourselves in. And no matter how dark things may get, the light shall never overcome it. God has given us the end of the story. And while he may not give us all the details, that's for our good. Even that is for our good as a father to a child saying, look, I'm only going to tell you what you need to know. And the rest you're going to trust me in. I I could explain to you the theory of thermodynamics and all these other kind of things that my kids often ask me questions. Actually, I couldn't give them any of that. But in some ways, they're just like, well, why? And what? And why? Why is that? Why is that? Like, I could explain it, but you're just not ready to hear it yet. As soon as I start explaining it, and I'm having to define every term and everything, and it's just going to be this long, you just have to trust me. Son, you have to trust me. I know What's going on here? Those in Christ win. These spoken of here that live lives to their own ends, they will not get far. But in contrast, we have so much to look forward to as a people of God. And I understand even in this last year, the struggles and the hardships that some of us have endured It's so easy to become discouraged and begin to ask, where is God in all this? Why isn't he here? Why isn't he giving us a certain answer or doing things a certain way? It is so easy to be riddled with fear and anxiety in those moments and to see even others and things out there. Uh, One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73, and I quote it all the time. But it's it's this psalmist who spends his entire life in, in, in the holy of holies or in the temple working for God and he's looking at everyone else partying all the time and he's just sweeping up entrails and blood from the sacrifice and eating you know barbecue every day, whatever's left over from the altar and, and he's just living this life and he's like, look, why did I get the short end of the stick? Why is God chasing me or disciplining me every day? And, and all these people are living like they want to live and he never disciplines them. Surely have... Surely in vain, this is how he says it, he comes to this conclusion, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. But then he enters the sanctuary of God. He's reminded of the truth. The truth dispels the lies for him. And he, he changes his tone. From that moment on, when he comes into the presence of the Lord, Asaph's presence and his demeanor changes. And he began to see things as they really are. Surely you've set their feet in slippery places. How quickly they're cast down to ruin. In a moment, like one who wakes, you will despise their form. It's this understanding that we get when we are around truth, when we are in truth, that helps to open our eyes and remind us of all that is in front of this and all that is in front of anyone else I've spent my week, as we get into this, um, in a moment, this congregational meeting, we talk about where we are as a church. I've spent my week telling myself these truths, praying these truths over my own soul, and being reminded that, Jeff, you cannot kill a church that Christ is the head of. 
You cannot so sidestep or, or misstep that any day or shortness would come upon God's church, God's church. And so I'm here this morning to hear this truth and be reminded again of all that I have through Christ that dispels the lies that I often believe. Let me ask you this morning as we close, what is it that you've been drinking? Have you been drinking the truth, what is real? Have you been drinking the truth in order to know it, in order to have the lies pushed away and your eyes enlightened? Or have you been drinking in fear, self, pleasures that cannot satisfy, that leave us thirsty, wanting, Let's pray together. Father, this morning, even as we come, we come as those who uh, need to confess our shortcomings and, and the ways in which we have trusted in ourselves. We have loved things that we should not have loved. And in that way, we're guilty. And Father, we need to drink again from the stream of living water. We need to be renewed of mind and heart to be steered towards the things of you again. And so, Father, we pray even now that you would show us our error and lead us to the way almighty. Like the psalmist in Psalm 73, that you would help us to understand uh, both those who are apart from you, their end, but also our end as those who are faithful only by the blood of the Lamb. Renew us this morning. Remake us, we pray. In the name of Christ. Amen.